Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast where we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 82, which begins with everyone looking at the strange cloud formation and ends with Thor preparing to make his stand with his Asgardian friends. Joining us on the show today, as will be all this week, we have Robin Burge from the Karate Kid Minute and Travis Bowe from Real Comic Heroes, Marvel Events Timeline, and the Watchmen Minute. Um, for both of you, I'm curious, like, obviously there's a lot of, like, kind of uh, great geeky minute you're into. Tell us about uh, you and Marvel. Like, how did you get into Marvel? Were you comic book fans beforehand? Um, what, what's, what's your kind of Marvel journey been like? I believe it started with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I started stealing comics from my brother. Uh, and I got a bit to Spider-Man and X-Men, I think, was uh, my main deal. It wasn't until like, later that, you know, especially when the MCU stuff came along, that I started checking out Thor. I never really was very interested in much com- cosmic stuff. Are you, are you then excited for the uh, yellow spandex X-Men of many of our childhoods to be coming back? It, it has to. It has to happen. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Travis, what about yourself? Um, kind of similar, uh, got into it, into Marvel through Spider-Man and then, you know, X-Men in the early nineties there, and then just stayed with comics, you know, since, since I was a kid, um, mostly a Marvel guy, uh, there for a while I got into DC, but last couple of years I've really checked out of DC, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's stuff like this, Thor, Fantastic Four, um, all the, the original Marvel stuff. It really wasn't for me. Like these Thor and, and Fantastic Four were my dad's comics. You know, I just yeah. could not care about this stuff. Um, but then the last couple of years, um, I got more in, interested in it. And then I don't know if you guys have heard of the podcast, My Marvelous Year, where no. they go through the Marvel universe, you know, starting with Fantastic Four in, in 1961 and they just pick key moments. Um, for every year of Marvel, and they'll talk about certain issues and, and everything. So I started with that with uh, Marvel Unlimited, the the comic app, and just started reading everything. And I decided to not keep up with that podcast because I, from that time, like literally started reading everything that Marvel released in a given year in release order. So I've been doing that for like the last three years. And have read a lot of Thor. Thor is now one of my favorites. Uh, I love Thor. I love uh, uh, Doctor Strange. You know, stuff like that I never would have read before. Um, some of the Iron Man stuff has been really fun. But uh, I've I've made it up to 1968. But nice. uh, yeah, again, Great. just reading everything that Marvel has put out as if it would, if it's, as if it's coming out like each, you know. Each issue, I, I'll read Fantastic Four, then do Captain America, then Iron Man, then, you know, down the list and then start back over once I get to the end of that month's uh, run. Nice. I can't wait to uh, get your impressions of the Iron Man runs in the 70s because yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some really fantastic storylines in there. On my Superhero Ethics podcast, we've been doing a series on comic book history, and we're just kind of going, like, mm. we did an episode on the Golden Era, an episode on the Silver Era, so I'd, I'd love to get you on at some point to talk yeah. about some of your observations there. Uh, we'll get a lot more about uh, Thor, of course, just after this.
you want to get in on the conversation about everything going on this week with the battle in Puente Antiguo with the Destroyer with like-minded Marvel fans over on Facebook? Well, just join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. Go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the link for the social of your choice. All right, so we now see that our heroes, as well as pretty much everyone in this town, is rushing out to see this cloud. And maybe I'm too much a child of, like, 1980s Cold War action movies, but is that supposed to look like a nuclear, like a mushroom cloud? Because that's certainly (laughs) what I got. (laughs) It sure does. Good good call. Yeah. I suppose they needed to do something, but I don't know why it seems like Midgard, only in this movie— is the place where there is strange things going on in the atmosphere when the Bifrost comes down. Cause it never happens again. Right. Like we never see, uh, even on Jotunheim, when they come down to Jotunheim, we're not seeing these sorts of cloud formations in this film. It's only here in this film on Midgard that we have such drastic things happening in the sky, uh, when the Bifrost is opening up to send something down. So it's, it's really strange. And yes, like why is it this giant, um, mushroom cloud thing here because it just i guess it's meant to look like a threat right i mean that's my impression yeah, i think they're they're too far they need the townspeople to be worried but they're too far away to see the destroyer and you know and know that that's a threat um so they yeah i think it's just to create the panic mm-hmm. while it's still i don't know five miles away well they hadn't really they hadn't really defined the bifrost travel look perfectly i mean they they were obviously doing it in this film but i feel like later as you get them uh popping in and out a lot more just effectively um like i mean even when you see uh you know loki arriving on jotunheim earlier in the film it's just like this beam that kind of comes down and i can't help but wonder like if they had just done a cool beam like a rainbow beam that shoots down would that have been enough to kind of draw everybody's attention or did it just need to be something so big just to get all the townsfolk out into the street. Well, and at least with this one, since I, I think we can all guess what's coming down now. <laughs> um, and I wonder if the combination of it, like, this is not a person, this is a much larger entity, but also, as, as we've just seen, it is not Heimdall in charge anymore. This is Loki opening up the Bifrost. You know, and so we, we've had a couple of weird things happening before as well, but I, I don't know if there's some, some idea that, like, this is a little different. Um, and Travis, I, I was actually going to ask if, because you were talking about all the comic book stuff you've been reading, and I know Thor has come in pretty late, so you have not read too much of that, but in the comics, is there kind of like these storm-type things that happen every time an Asgardian comes to Midgard? Not that I've noticed. Um, there might be, you know, motion lines indicating the idea that's, that uh, there's some, some teleportation kind of happening, but... Nowhere to this level of, you know, changing weather patterns or anything, anything like that. Yeah. And so then we cut to S.H.I.E.L.D. and they're obviously they're not watching from a distance. They're kind of right there. And they, I like the way they set that up with you see the the coffee uh, cup and don't put it in a dashboard. Come on. It's always going <laughs> to yeah. spill. This is Jurassic um, but, Park, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It spills. And I, I love also the scene of like the sand, like, you know, the, it, it's it's blowing because all this you you got the sense that clearly they they're at ground zero in a way that everybody else isn't. Yeah. Did you guys spot the uh, continuity error with the with the coffee cup? No. No. When uh, you you obviously see it tip over, and then they cut to uh, you're kind of seeing from Colson and uh, 
Oh, the other guy. Sitwell. Uh, Sitwell. You see from kind of from their perspective and when you see the destroyer and at one point the coffee cup is standing up and then another point it's tipped over. So just a little fun uh, <laughs> right, right, right. error in uh, coffee there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also, uh, you know, a, a, a different type of uh, continuity error. But, you know, when when our heroes just ran out of the of Smith Motors to kind of see this formation, if you look at the streets of Puente Antiguo, they're completely dry mm-hmm. and just pay attention to them when we return to Puente Antiguo a little later. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later in this minute. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so here, like shield is already there because this is where the warriors three and Sif came down. So I think the implication here, we've had, you know, the, the Bifrost opening up all over New Mexico, or at least within this general area. But now am I right? that The destroyer is basically landing just pretty much in the exact same spot. And and actually, the more I think about it and the more I look at the landscape here, I think that this is actually where Thor landed, too. And we were asking, like, did they never find where Thor landed? I think they did. I just don't think they realized it until the Warriors 3 and Sif landed on the exact same spot. And it makes me wonder if Heimdall very specifically pointed the, uh, the Bifrost to land in the same spot that he had sent Thor uh, for them to kind of get to the same place. Like it just, it's, it's an odd, um, uh, I don't know. The ground is just so flat. There are some kind of track marks around it. It does make me feel like, you know, I can see Jane and Darcy and Eric driving in the dark across this more so than the rough landscape where, uh, where Mjolnir landed. I guess it would make sense for there to be like, this is the Midgard, uh, doorway. We call them the Bifrost junctions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. My memory is of the ground being a little bit more hilly where Thor landed. Like, it wasn't quite the over-the-hill effect you get with where Mjolnir is. But sorry, it, it doesn't feel the same to me. But granted, we saw one at day, one at night. So it may well be. And certainly that would make a lot more sense if this is kind of like, just like the edge of that cliff in Jotunheim. There's kind of a, like, there's a bus stop. And that's, you can get the bus to go other places, but this is the first place it stops. Yeah, I always assume where Mjolnir uh, lands, it caused like a like a crater of some sort, you know? Yeah, that's also true. It wasn't maybe it wasn't hilly. Well, <laughs> I, I think, you know, part of it is all the Mjolnir stuff was filmed in California in the mountains out there. And all of this stuff out in the desert was actually filmed out in the desert of New Mexico. So. So, yeah, they just never quite match up, which is maybe that's also part of the reason which we didn't really talk about way back when, Matthew, maybe that's just why Mjolnir had to land in a different spot from Thor, because they they knew they were going to be filming it in a different state. Wait, 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 Andy, Andy, <laughs> I, I, I know that I, I am not as well versed in movie making as you are, but I, I always assume that every single frame is completely chosen because that's the director's artistic vision. Practical <laughs> effects have, have, have nothing to do with this, right? Don't, don't, don't tell me there's no Santa Claus here. <laughs> that's right. I know. I'm the worst parent. <laughs> the worst parent. <laughs> um, so, and Darcy does have that great moment of is someone else coming, uh, which it, it just kind of, I think it's such a great way of like summing up everyone's anticipation and, and fear. And then, of course, we just get this great shot of the, the sort of the clouds of sand parting and there's the destroyer. Mm. Such a just a fantastic way that they created that imposing figure for the film. I, I really love what they did with it. I absolutely love the destroyer. It, it's just rendered perfectly here. And they just capture it perfectly on on film here compared to the the original like jack kirby design of it it's just so awesome i love i love the way they use it in this movie 
Well, and they do. And to your point, yeah, I mean, they really did a great job of that translation, right? From the yeah. comics to this. Like, I mean, it really looked like this in the comics, uh, mm-hmm. effectively. And so I, I love the way that they right. uh, they use it. This is a creation that I really wish that they would continue to find ways to bring back in, in later films. Because I just yeah. I think it's such a creatively cr- crafted piece yeah. with its kind of the body... Uh, kind of those bands that like the armor bands that that make it up that it can manipulate. I think that's just it's really cool. I, I do wish that you'd get more of a sense. I know you guys will get it uh, next week when when Thor is talking, you know, to Loki through the destroyer. But I wish you got more of a sense that that someone was piloting uh, the destroyer, for lack of a better word. Um, cause this just seems like it's, it's just a, a robot, you know, sent to, I don't know, to kill Thor, I guess. Um, whereas like in the comics, you need a soul, a person needs to inhabit the destroyer. Um, sometimes it's Loki at one point in, in the issue that this kind of sequence of the movie kind of takes after, um, it's actually Sif. Lady Sif, who is piloting the destroyer because uh, Thor has been depowered because, you know, he angered Odin. So Odin sends him to to Earth to, you know, same thing as this movie, basically, just to teach him a lesson, takes away his powers. And Sif and uh, Balder go to the Norn Queen, who I wish was in this, you know, these movies um, to, you know, they they need some way to to get to to Thor and she says, well, if you take the, the destroyer. And so she tries to reason with, with Thor and finds out once you're inhabiting the destroyer, you don't have any, you can't talk, you can't, you know, reason or, uh, and then she quickly loses control over the destroyer and it, it almost kills Thor. And then that's when Odin, you know, gives him back the power. So as a comparison to uh, something we were talking about uh, yesterday, it's interesting the way that the destroyer is kind of built into this film. It is a little more the Ed 209. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, as we'll talk about in the next minute, especially tomorrow, you know, Loki gave it very specific instructions, but also said kind of, you know, destroy everything. And I, I don't quite understand what it's sort of operating matrix is here. And so, yeah, knowing that there was a person inside it would help give me a little bit more of a, cause like it's kind of, it looks kind of cool while it's destroying the, 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 the shield cars. Um, and at first I was wondering like, is it only destroying cars? Is it not destroying people? Um, there is one shot we get as it's blowing things up of like, Two cars are blown up and then a person flies right into yeah. one of those people in yeah. the middle of an explosion. So it's it's the MCU PG-13. We're not going to focus on the people dying, but it's not <laughs> protecting life by any means. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to say also just about the, the reveal of it. This is something that I think we're seeing a lot more in action movies these days, but it's so effective. And I think they do it so well here. This shot is the first time we see the whole thing. You know, way back when, Andy, mm-hmm. we talked about how, you know, when the destroyer destroys the the frost giants, we just get like the the torso up and it's in shadow. And and then even later when Loki talks to it, now we get to see like the size of it compared to everything else in scale. And it's it, I just love that that the way they use that technique. 
Well, and also there's that fantastic shot from behind its shoulder as it's yeah. walking toward them. And what I love about it is that they actually built a a, a very slight like wobble of the frame for every mm-hmm. footstep just to make it really feel mm. very heavy, like the whole yeah. ground is shaking with each footstep. Like it's it's just really fantastic the way they put that together. Yeah, I love that feeling that you're riding on the the destroyer's shoulder as it's approaching the shield agents. Yeah. And they did have a they did have something uh for some of these shots, like a big ten foot thing that they could um move around, but I don't know I like I'm not sure which one is the real one and which one are the CG creations. I want that in my in my front lawn as a lawn <laughs> ornament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I go a little crazy for Christmas decorations, and I I, I had a baby Yoda with a Santa hat. Now I really want to destroy her with a Santa hat. You know, that should be <laughs> outside my house. And then, of course, we get into what one of my favorite little recurring bits, which is just how nonchalant Shield and especially Coulson is, because his first reaction isn't, "Oh my God, it's a huge." monster robot or like how did that it's all right stark what are you doing now and and Sitwell is the exact same uh and the way the two of them approach it and then he just like it's like he's giving a, a traffic citation you know like yeah. i have to let you know you're using unregistered weapons mm-hmm. tech <laughs> yeah the the fact that he doesn't feel threatened by this at this point i he he i love how exasperated he is how resigned he is like mm-hmm. ugh, the, i I am just a cog on the wheel that is Tony Stark. So this is probably <laughs> something he, so, you know, I mean, he, as far as he knows, there's some dude in there there's some sweaty dude in, in that, like some, you know, like Jeff Bridges or somebody in there that he's just like, all right, you, you've got to yeah. take, take a minute and just think you, you need to stop. Um, but yeah, little as you know, uh, there is no person in there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, and that plays so well because as its face starts opening up, he's like, all right, here we go. It's like, <laughs> yep, you're going to, all right, you, the suit's going to come off and we're going to have a conversation now. I, I love the way that that plays, you know, because mm-hmm. that, the way that that fire yeah. like boils out of its chest and like bursts through its face is just so cool. And one thing we've been talking about a lot over the season is this version of S.H.I.E.L.D. feels very different than it did in Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, which is so far the only things we've gotten as well. Hulk, and in Hulk. We didn't get Shield and Hulk much, did we? A little bit, yeah. Shield tech, yeah. Shield tech. Yeah. But, the army but, was using well. Some of that was Stark tech. No, Stark well, tech. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that the Shield elements were integrated. Yeah. After the fact, because that was universal. Right. But my only point being, I now feel like I understand a little more where Shield is coming. Is that they're so frustrated about dealing with Stark that now they have people who actually they can boss around some that maybe they're enjoying that a little more. Um, well, the thing that, that got me here is a huge metal person thing appears. It's not a weapon. I, I don't see any weapon. I mean, he's got these tiny little spikes that we see in the over-shoulder shot. But, like, why does he jump to this is unregistered weapon tech? Well, I feel like that came from Iron Man 2, right? You know, you're wearing this giant suit. You, you know, you, you're using it as a weapon because, I mean, that was the whole thing. The government was trying to get the suits away from Tony. Uh, because it was, uh, it, you know, as far as they were concerned, it was weapons technology that they wanted to control, and so that's that's my sense of it is that yeah, you're wearing a giant metal suit, much obviously much larger than an actual person is. Therefore, there must be elements in it that are weapons. Otherwise, why are you walking around in a giant metal suit? Mm. That's fair. That's fair. And also, like if he's if he's landing and causing like 
basically a, a thunderstorm when he lands. I mean, there is a bit of a threat there that they need to contain. <laughs> it's just funny because I know, it, like in Agents of Shield, there were many times where, like, they were like, "We don't want to assume you're hostile," we, <laughs> and then until so they start shooting, and then Coulson's like, "Okay, you're hostile, fine." Um, <laughs> I, and when he brought this up, we then get the 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 eyes open and the fire begins. And I love this shot because it's it's not like a laser. It's not a heat ray. You can see that there's an actual fire like starting to burn. And to me, it just so captures this idea of like old style, like magic dragons world with sci-fi. It's like he's he's like unleashing the full force of Asgard. Yeah. Like in this one beam. I, I love the awesome power on display here, too. Yeah. Yeah, talk about like, you know, Cold War hysteria. I mean, this thing reminds me of old school War of the Worlds. You know, when that mm. thing fires and the metallic ring that it has when it yeah. fires out, it really makes me think of that the 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 old War of the Worlds. Yeah, that's great, Paul. And how they sounded. I love that effect. Um you see the fire rise through the you know, the chest, you know, up through the you know, the throat and then out the the face. I don't remember when he took on the frost giants, if you saw that effect of the the fire, the fire rises. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, or not. <laughs> wrong show. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, so then we cut back to Puerto Antiguo, and we're on the streets. And Andy, what did you kind of notice when you we, you looked at the streets as we're seeing them here? Well, as you look at the streets, now they're all wet. <laughs> the, the 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 water truck has come through and done done a, a pass uh, wetting the streets down because you know it makes it look a little more, a little better on film, but it's like why I mean we just had even at the beginning of this minute when they run out all the streets were dry and you know part of me wonders maybe they needed to create this cloud effect in the sky also to just show you know what. We wet the streets there. We need to do something to make it seem like, you know, some moisture came down on everything. Oh, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That's 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 my uh no prize for that one. I've been to uh to Arizona a few times and I'm I've you know certainly experienced like you get ten minutes of rain like almost every morning and it's gone. So maybe they just had a quick little rain shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a five second rain shower. Yeah. I mean <laughs> random weather effects again, like, you know. Loki doesn't quite understand the Bifrost. He's doing some weird weather things without meaning to. Um, but we think here's, here's the question I have. So we established that like the cloud was way, way off in the distance. Um, and then we cut back to Puento Antiguo and the people are running around and, you know, Thor says, you know, Jane, you have to leave, which what about Darcy and Eric? We'll get into that for a second. Um, but my first question is, do they know what's happening? Like, does Thor does Thor just guess that it's the destroyer, or do all these people see this destruction? Like, I'm I'm very unclear on that. There's a fireball off in in the horizon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't obviously can't play the minute in here. I don't know if you hear any kind of explosion, but yeah, if you like second fifty one, you can see a, a bright little fireball. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Out in the in the desert. Yeah, I had to like pause it and go back to really scrutinize it because there's like a tree yeah. dangling that's kind of even almost yeah. hiding <laughs> the fireball. Yeah. Well, there's like rumbly, like it's hard to tell. Is it is it the explosions coming from the destroyer? Is it lightning in the distance? But yeah, I, there's something that people are looking at there. But again, it is awfully far away. Yeah. Um. So it, yeah, I mean, everyone in town is is you know getting in a panic about something that's pretty far away. Yeah, they're overreacting. 
They should be standing <laughs> around going, well, I hope that doesn't come our way. <laughs> at least Thor might know. Like, Thor would probably know, okay, a little bit of fire, something just came from Asgard, I can put two and two together, this yeah. is the Destroyer. But yeah, everyone else... Um, and then, of course, we end with Volstagg having this great his little moment. To, oh, Thor's going to fight with us! Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, as a rotund redhead, I am just <laughs> always going to be sad about what Volstagg is just this walking joke. <laughs> Last week, I got into this about his moment of you know, like, well, but I'm eating everything. <laughs> um, you know, and here again, it's just like, just I, yeah. I got nothing. Uh, I I honestly thought at first I had again I had to kind of scroll back a little bit. I thought he said the fool is going to fight with us, as if like to <laughs> question the fact that he's mortal and he's just going to do it anyway. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah, that That's would fit funny. better. That would fit better. <laughs> Have you guys uh, uh, talked about this town much at all? I mean, is is this a real town that they're filming in, or this is this all like sets, exteriors built? Hundred percent fake. That's all, okay. Is, I was going to say it built, seems to be in the middle it, of nowhere. <laughs> it is. It's built on an old western town uh, in New Mexico. They just they changed the whole all the all the buildings from eighteen hundreds buildings to modern buildings, huh. um, which is why it has a very. I I struggle with it because it always feels like. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a town that looks like it has maybe 200 people tops, even though it says the population's over 2,000. <laughs> it always seems way too busy. Like, I have a lot of issues with it. I love the look of it. it. It looks great. It just never quite feels like something that realistically should be here. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, host another podcast. I don't mean to plug, but, you know, it's for the show Superman and Lois. And they have the main street of Smallville in that town. And it really is just this one main street of exteriors. And it's all businesses. And just like, yeah, I guess this is the whole town, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, I do just want to say, um, if you played a drinking game while listening to these podcasts of every time I found a way to sneak in a reference to one of my other podcasts, <laughs> your liver would be in trouble. So please shameless plug away. Superman um, and Lois TV talk. Thank you. There you go. There, it is. there, there you it go. Is. There you go. Did you talk about the billboard, though? I'm, I'm oh, sure you've talked about yeah. the billboard. Oh, yeah. Land of Enchantment. Why is there text blotted out? I, I don't know. We we weren't sure if if that was something that they did after the fact, like they needed to come in and say, oh, we can't have that information there. And like there's an 800 number clearly huh. or or if they if it was that way and they just decided to leave it like it's just it's so strange. I think you I, no I remember hearing you theorize that they were going to fix it in post, uh, you know, <laughs> like add a, a real number, you know, a fake number, but make it look real. But then they yeah. just didn't. But yeah, it does look weird that it's redacted. But then I yeah. love the I love the thing at the bottom. The you know, yep. uh, journey, journey into mystery. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's fitting. Uh, while we're while we're talking about the town, uh, this is Main Street. So you know, we are on the Main Street of this town at first up here at Smith Motors. The next street down is Mesa, which we can finally see, and we can finally see the world famous Arturo's Food and Pharmacy <laughs> across the street from Isabella's. That's Arturo was somebody who that I believe that they had cast with some lines at one point, but um, never ended up. Um, I mean, technically, he is still there. Arturo the Grocer slash Townie, Martin Edward Andazola plays him, but he ended up getting uncredited. I don't know if that's because, you know, anything he did was cut or if he's just now one of these random people running around in the background. But <laughs> technically, there is an Arturo and that's his shop. 
the things that stand out to me in this minute, or anytime I watch this this sequence of the movie, is this gray uh, Ford Focus hatchback that at the start of the minute it's like turning kind of in front of them, or where where you're seeing the the, the mushroom cloud, yeah. and then at the end of this minute it's uh, maybe it turned <laughs> around back. and now it's heading back towards them. So it just it just stands out because it's the same car used twice. Puente Antiguo, Thor when he uh, left. To, uh, you know, when he departed from his friends to go find Mjolnir, uh, it takes forever for him to leave town. And then he's, you know, he finally just wanders back into the pet shop. It's like, what has he been doing, like, for the past <laughs> 10 minutes? I like to think that Puente Antiguo is one of those, like, those spots that you see in movies where, like, you leave, but then you're, like, you're walking right back into it. It's like, I thought I just left this town. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, like, in... Uh, There's a, a welcome to Night Vale aspect to it, you know? Yeah. You've got all <laughs> like, kind of... I can't get out! Weird things. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's about all for this minute. We all have a lot more about the story next minute. Um, so from both of you, we heard about uh, one thing. What, what's another thing you want to plug or let people know about? Robin, let's actually talk about uh, Superman and Lois. What you got going on there? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I've talked enough about it, but we've already <laughs> – we covered the first <laughs> season uh, and it's going to be back in uh, January uh, to talk about uh, season two. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's me and my friends, Derek and Frank, and, uh, we loved, uh, Smallville back in the day and we're just kind of continuing the Superman love with, uh, Superman Lois, uh, finally a, uh, uh, a Superman live action TV show where Superman is Superman and he's not played by a complete tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i am once again uh hey one more shameless plug uh but it will long be over by the time this comes out but i, I did a review an episode by episode review of season two of the witcher and when i'm recording this now i've just finished our uh, episode by episode of season one and i'm just watching henry cavill and like how could anyone think this person should be superman and not batman i don't get it he's so mm. good at dark and gritty um <laughs> anyway so travis what about yourself uh, my newer podcast is Marvel Events Timeline, and over there, uh, myself and and Brian Lockhart, fellow Movies by Minute host, uh, we go through the Marvel Universe uh, one event at a time uh, in the comics, and we start we're starting with uh, Timely Comics, where it all started with the the meeting of uh, Namor the Submariner and uh, the Human Torch, because um, that's really kick things off and and we found out by doing this show that their meeting in uh in uh, Marvel Mystery Comics number 9 is the first time any two characters from separate comic book stories had ever crossed paths so oh, in a cool. sense the the shared universe started here started in that book. And that's, you know, now we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe and every everyone's trying to build a shared universe. And mm -hmm. I like that that it all kind of started with uh, with with uh, Namor and uh, the Human Torch. So and did you say that was the first time in, in comics or the first yeah. time in because I, I thought there'd been some like Superman but Batman crossovers way back in the 40s. Superman and Batman don't meet until like 1956 or 57 in the pages oh, okay. of a comic. I think they had met up on a radio play or something like that. That's what I'm thinking. You know. Okay. But in the pages of a comic, yeah, uh, it, it started in, in, in timely. So awesome. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely two things worth checking out. Thank you both so much. I'm really excited for the rest of the week. Andy, as always, thank you. And to our fans, you make this possible. Thank you so much and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. 
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. True Story.